So today we will begin to take a look at Matthew chapter 9. We continue going through the book of Matthew. So go ahead, please go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Matthew chapter 9. And we're only going to cover the first uh, 17 verses this morning, as well as we'll be taking a look at several other passages of Scripture today. Um, if you weren't with us for our past studies and you'd like to listen to them, uh, you can do so by searching a love outreach on SoundCloud, uh, we're on iTunes, and most recently we're on YouTube, so you can find some past studies there if you're interested. But jumping on into our study for today, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew says, so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Now we're still talking about Jesus here. We're still following the ministry of Jesus as we go through the book of Matthew. And the city that is being spoken of here is actually the city of Capernaum. Jesus had performed some very powerful miracles in that city, and he was very well received there, unlike Nazareth, where he grew up. They did not receive Jesus well there at all. Matter of fact, they took him to the edge of a cliff where they were going to try to throw him off. So he walked unharmed away from that, of course, because it wasn't his time. But the city of Capernaum here seemed to be a special place for him. And then verse 2 says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. So, as we've seen in our study of Matthew, whenever Jesus shows up, the people always came out in droves to see him. Especially in Capernaum, like I said, it was a special place for him. But not only just the townspeople, but the religious hypocritical scribes always seemed to show up as well where Jesus was. And here in this instance, they, they weren't saying anything out loud, but each of them were thinking the same thing, it seems. Within themselves, they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Why? Well, because only God could forgive sins. They didn't see Jesus as God, though of course He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Now, and since it's been a while since we've looked at the Gospel of John together, and we've talked about this subject of Jesus being God, let's go ahead and mark this page now and turn and find in your Bibles the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. So again, here, here along come these scribes. They're thinking in their hearts. They're thinking within themselves. This man blasphemes. Why? Simply because Jesus forgives sins, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't believe who he was. But in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, so we're at the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Now pause right there. So who is this word that is being spoken of here? Who was God and who was with God in the beginning? Who made all things that exist like it says here? That is creation. Who made it all? Who is this word that is being spoken of here? Well, it's real simple if we jump down to verse 14. Same chapter, John chapter 1, and we jump down to verse 14. We read in verse 14, still speaking of the Word, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, it is Jesus that was God in the flesh who walked upon this earth back in the day. And I just wanted to point that out to you real quickly. And and I'm going to stress this topic a couple times today of the deity of Jesus Christ, who He is. But as we flip back now to Matthew chapter 9, again, the people of the city of Capernaum along with the scribes did not realize that, that Jesus was God in their midst. But since He was, of course, He had the power to forgive sins. Again, these scribes were just thinking within themselves that Jesus was committing blasphemy. Notice there how they said, this man blasphemes. But this was not just a man. If he was just a man and he was acting like he was God, well then he would be committing blasphemy. But verse 4 continues, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Now, as I consider this question that Jesus asked here in verse 5, to me it would have been much easier for Jesus just to say, Arise and walk. Because the man would have done exactly that at the command of Jesus, right? So there would have been something physical, excuse me, physical though, for all the people to see, right? The man would have been healed and it would have been visible to everyone there. But on the other hand, if Jesus would have said, as he did say, your sins are forgiven you to this man, this would have been an invisible miracle, Right? Because there would have been no instant outward evidence that what Jesus proclaimed was true. So the easier thing to say would have been arise and walk. Not easy for you and me, but easy for Jesus, right? The people expected that kind of thing from Jesus at this point. They had seen him do it before. So that would have been the easier thing for Jesus to do here. But Jesus wanted to make a a point. Remember, he, again, he was God in their midst, but they were missing it. And the point that Jesus was making is stated by him in verse 6 when he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now pause right there, because Jesus was not only the Son of God and God in the fullness of human flesh, but he was also very much a man. As we read, as we read in the Gospel of John this morning, right, the word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born of a woman like you and I, so he was human. But unlike you and I, it was the Spirit of God that impregnated the woman. 
So Jesus was every bit God and every bit man. And I really want to drive this point home to you here this morning. So please, I want you to look at some more scriptures with me. Mark this page again where we are. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Okay, so you got 1 Corinthians, go to the right, we're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? <laughs> so, right after Philippians. Colossians chapter 2. I want, to, I want you to look down with me uh, in chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9, okay? So Colossians 2, 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men. Now, there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes around today. It's the philosophies of men. It's, it's the traditions of men, right? It says, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Because that's where everything about us needs to be founded on Jesus Christ, right? And verse 9 is what I want to point out to you here. It says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you see that? All the power and authority was in the body of the God-man Jesus Christ. We cannot allow ourselves to miss this biblically-based fact about Jesus. There are people, there are religions out there that will try to cheat you. Like it says here, beware lest anyone cheat you, right? They'll try to cheat you of this fact according to their traditions. Any religion that is based upon the declarations of a man other than the Word of God. And that's what we have to be careful with as followers of Jesus Christ. We're building our lives upon the rock that is Jesus. We're building a foundation upon Jesus Christ and it's built upon the Word of God. Okay? And But we anybody that tries to cheat us and distract us from things that are not written in the Word of God as it, can, as it pertains to Jesus, we need to be aware of it. Because if we miss this fact, we'll find ourselves incomplete. Because look at verse 10 here, it says, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Again, it's crucial that as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we build our lives upon that foundation. Let nothing move us away from building our lives upon Jesus Christ and and His Word, right? Jesus is all that you and I need, right? But we need to be clear on who Jesus is. All power and all authority was given unto Him, okay? So, back in chapter 9 again, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is demonstrating His complete power. Not only did He have the power to heal, But he also, as the Almighty, had the power to forgive sins. Okay? Then the second half of verse 6, so Matthew 9, 6, and verse 7 here tells us the conclusion of the matter. It says, Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose 
and departed to his house. Verse 8. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now I won't have you turn there right now, but in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus makes this statement. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is another claim that they would have accused Jesus of blasphemy for making. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? But of course, these people here in Capernaum, they're they're marveling here because they've never seen such spiritual power in someone that they think is just a man. They've never seen such power. Verse 9 continues and says, As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And He said to him, Follow me. So He arose and followed Him. Do you ever wonder why some of these guys just followed Jesus when He said this? Passing by and Jesus says, Follow me. And they get up and they leave everything. These guys left everything to follow Jesus, right? Again, why? He's, it's His powerful Word. It's who He is. He's God in the flesh. He's God with us. And as He called these people, they just got up and followed Him, right? Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Him and His disciples. So now Jesus has a new disciple, right? Matthew. And And with some further study of the other Gospels, we can find that the house that is spoken of here in verse 10 is indeed Matthew's house. And of course, Matthew, as a tax collector, was acquainted, I'm sure, with many other tax collectors. So now that Matthew had decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ, his life could have an influence on others that were in his sphere of influence, right? The same holds true for you and me today. Right? If we if we become followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the Word of God, we too can invite others to come and sit down with Jesus and learn of Him and have communion with Him, have fellowship with Him. And this is what they're doing here at Matthew's house. At this table with Jesus, there are many colleagues of Matthew, many other tax collectors, and many other sinners. We are told in the epistle of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the world is full of sinners that can be invited to come and learn of Jesus Christ. All of us were once lost without Jesus Christ. Okay, And I know for me, someone shared the gospel with me when I was 19 years old. I didn't come to it till I was 21 years old. But I'm thankful for that man that sat down with me. He sat down and he opened the Bible with me on a graveyard shift working at a factory. He sat down and he shared the scriptures with me. He told me about Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to do that with people. right? Because Jesus has an influence on our lives like he did in the life of Matthew here. And Matthew had a a sphere of influence that he could invite people over to come and sit down and hear Jesus, right? 
You and I can still do today what Matthew and his friends were doing all those years ago in this chapter. Now, once again, we'll see here in verse 11 that lurking just around the corner again are the religious folks. This time it's the Pharisees. Last time it was the scribes. They say blasphemy, right? This time it's the Pharisees. Verse 11, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, as I read this question when I was studying for this, you know, these Pharisees come along and ask this question, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, you know. One day in my business, uh, this has been some years back now, I made a delivery to a local church here in the area. And the pastor there received the delivery from me. And since I thought, well, hey, this is my fellow brother in Christ here, I'm going to make conversation with him and, you know, talk about the Lord with him or whatever. What? But upon telling him what I do, that I do a home fellowship like this, he proceeded to rake me over the coals, this guy, up one side and down the other, and to tell me what a disservice I was doing to people, and that all of those people needed to be in the church, and then he told me, you needed to tell all your people to come here to my church, you know, and that what I was doing by doing a Bible study in my house, I mean, this guy just, I mean, here I am thinking, hey, a brother in the Lord, you know, hey, a fellow brother here, you know, and talk to him, and, but you know, the Lord just gave me joy. Like, as I'm smiling now, I just smile. I just smiled and turned and walked, walked away, right? But, you know, whenever you're walking in the ways of the Lord, whenever you're walking by faith, just to simply do what He's calling you to do, just to simply walk by faith, there will always be, always be those that are lurking around like scribes and, and Pharisees, right? To tell you that you're doing something wrong. They don't like the way you're doing it or you should be doing it differently, whatever. Here, Jesus, God in the flesh, is reaching out to people. He's sitting down with despised tax collectors of that day and sinners and religious people are coming along and ridiculing him for what he's doing. And verse 12 continues and says, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, right? But go and learn what this means. Then he says to them, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So you see, this is what Jesus was doing again amongst these tax collectors and sinners. He was showing mercy. He was showing mercy. People that are self-righteous feel that they, you know, have no need to be made any better because after, after all, they think themselves to be pretty good as they are, okay? But Jesus came to show mercy, and he wants us to be people of mercy, people full of mercy as well. Again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we all need God's mercy. And the world is full of people all around us in our sphere of influence, where you work, where you go, whatever you do, in your family, people need the love of God and people need mercy, you know, but they need the word of God. They need the truth and we need to give them the truth, but we need to give them the truth and love when we do, okay? 
if not for the mercy of the Lord, where, where would we be? I know where I'd be. I'd be eternally lost if not for the mercy of God. Then Jesus, in verse 14 here, says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do you and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so now here's another group of people coming along to question things, right? Now these disciples of John, they must have been missing something, though. Because if they were truly disciples of John, and it's speaking of John the Baptist here, well, John the Baptist came for one reason. He came to point the way to Jesus Christ, point the way to the Messiah. When Jesus came on the scene, what did John do? He deflected attention off of himself. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, he said I must decrease, but he must increase. So if these were disciples of John, they should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus by now, right? But again, people get trapped in certain ways of life. People get trapped in certain philosophies and you know things that teachings of man they build their lives upon the foundation of what a man teaches i tell you people all the time i tell you guys all the time whenever i teach from the bible like this see if it's true read the bible yourself because you can psalm 118:8 says it's better to trust in the lord it's better to trust in the lord than to put confidence in man they say that's the center verse of the whole Bible. I've never counted them. But if it is, it's, it's a good foundation, right? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So I'm always going to point you to Jesus. I'm always going to point you to the Word of God. Hide the Word of God in your heart yourself that you might not sin against Him, right? So again, here are these disciples of John, right? But again, I think they must have been missing something too. But Jesus is going to take the time to teach them here. He doesn't just say, oh, you bozos, get out of here. You don't know what you're doing, right? That wasn't Jesus, nor is that the way that we should be in the way that we live our lives. And Jesus says to them in verse 15, and Jesus said to them, it says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So again, Jesus takes the time to teach these guys here and he gives them an illustration. He was the bridegroom in this illustration and his disciples are the friends of his that were invited to the wedding, right? The day was going to come though when he was going to be taken away from them. And Jesus is saying at that time, his disciples will fast. Not when he's right here in their presence, but when he's taken away, right? He was crucified, wasn't he? He was dead. He was buried. He rose again. But ultimately, he was taken away from his disciples and he ascended into heaven. So fasting is now a good thing for the disciples of Jesus to do. But his disciples didn't have to do it while he was right there in the midst of them. That's what he's saying here. For you and me today, fasting is a very good thing to do. Denying the flesh of food that it's used to having on a daily basis and spending time seeking the Lord in prayer is a great way to get spiritual breakthrough in your life. A spiritual breakthrough. You know, maybe things in your life that are strongholds that you've dealt with or things that are going on, troubles you're going through. 
it's important that we fast. Okay, as followers of Jesus Christ, we all go through difficult times in life. God uses trials in our lives, right? He uses trials in our lives so that we can grow in Him. It increases our faith. It, it, it produces perseverance in us. It strengthens us. And it moves us on when we go through things, right? But, but we, ha- we need to have our eyes fixed on Him as we do. If you're struggling with something in your life, Please know that the Bible definitely teaches that you should fast. If you remember, when we studied chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus was speaking on the topic of fasting, and He said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast, and He told them how to do it. He said, don't be like the hypocrites, right? Don't put on a sad face. You don't need to tell everybody you're fasting, whatever. Don't draw attention to yourself. Jesus was teaching them, but He said, when you fast. Not if you fast, okay? And make no mistake, fasting, as spoken of in the Bible, is speaking of abstaining from food. I know people say, well, I'm going to cut out the movies, or I'm going to cut this out, or whatever. But when you, when you study fasting in the Bible, both in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and in the Greek of the New Testament, the word is translated, no food, okay? The Hebrew word is actually translated as to not eat. But the Greek word is actually translated, no food. Okay, So this this wasn't a command of Jesus. You know, I'm not telling you here if you've never fast or if you don't fast. No, I'm just saying the Bible teaches it as something good, something that we should do. Okay, And there's quite an extensive study you can do on the topic of fasting from a, a biblical standpoint. And I encourage you to do that in your own studies, you know, of the scripture to take time to learn more about the topic. And while you're studying about it, you can fast. (laughs) While you're studying about fasting, fast and see what the Lord does in your life, right? But I know there are people with, you know, health reasons sometimes in which you may not be able to do so for one reason or another. So again, it's not a command, but it's definitely implied as something in the scriptures that's good to do. But again, Jesus is saying here that fasting for his disciples was not necessary thing while he was present with them. That's how he answers these disciples of John as they come along here, right? So moving on, verse 16, he said, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. You see, Jesus has now ushered in and Jesus was at this point in time here on the earth when he was walking with his disciples and in in his earthly ministry. Remember, this was a short time, a three-year period of time that Jesus was going through this ministry of his before he was crucified, right? But as he was, he was bringing in something new. Remember, everyone was under the law. Everyone had the Old Testament. Everyone was under the law. Jesus was ushering in something different here, which was why they were calling him a blasphemer, why they hated him, ultimately why they crucified him, because he was ruffling the feathers, right? He was making waves. Something new was coming in. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, 
all things become new. So that's what happens to a person when they're truly in Christ. They become a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. It's no longer about sacrifice. It's no longer about this religion or that religion, right? These people were asking him about fasting from a purely religious standpoint. God was there in their midst, sitting with them, eating with them, right? Eating with, again, with despised tax collectors of that day and sinners, but he was mercy on full display. Jesus came to repair that which was broken and torn. When we read this and now this teaching that Jesus gives here on the patch and the wineskins, right? Jesus came to repair what was broken and torn, but he didn't come with their old religious methods. His patchwork was a fixing of the heart, right? To make all things new in a person, to give all of us that were lost in sin a chance for a new beginning. That's the work of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is talking about in these examples here that he gives. The way of the law, the old way, was about sacrifice. The way of mercy was and is an opportunity for us to have God in us. Why do we celebrate in our hearts the birth of Jesus? Why do we cherish His death on the cross? Why do we rejoice over His resurrection? Because true love has been given by God to mankind. There's so much to celebrate. So much to celebrate. Grace and mercy have prevailed to give us the opportunity to begin again, to to be born again, which Jesus said one must be, one must be born again so that we might have eternal life with God in heaven. To have an abundant life in Jesus Christ, something new has come. Go ahead and mark this page again in your Bibles and turn all the way to the last book of Revelation. The last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Again, we're speaking of something new beginning, what Jesus was ushering in. Okay? And starting in verse 1, Revelation 21 1. It says, Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. 
He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Again, listen, folks. Jesus came and ushered in something new. Not all things are complete yet. What we just read about still lies ahead for us as followers of Jesus Christ. But if you place your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, it's a new beginning for you. You will find what it means to be born again. Jesus isn't physically with us in His body on the earth today. But the way to Him is clear. As you've heard me say so often and as the Scripture teaches, we must die to ourselves. We must take up the cross and we must follow after Him. Dying to ourselves, right? Meaning that we repent. We repent of our the, the life of a living in willful sin. We repent of being the captain of our own ship, right? And we surrender all of our lives to Jesus, every aspect of our lives to Jesus Christ. It's absolute surrender when we come to Jesus. It's not just part of us. Right? We don't say, Lord, take part of me, right? We, he wants our all. But it's not about the ways of man. It's not about the philosophies of man. It's not about religion, right? God Himself wants to dwell within you by His Spirit. He wants to dwell within us, right? Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Uh, Turn again to the Gospel of John. This time we're going to look at John chapter 14. So again, we're going to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14 this time. So John 14, and we'll start reading in verse 15. Jesus speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Who is the helper that Jesus speaks of here? Well, verse 17 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Okay, so Jesus is speaking here to His disciples in that day of a time when He was going to leave the earth. But He's telling them that those that keep the commands of His Word, He says those that keep the commands of His Word, they will not be like orphans. He will be with them by His Spirit. The Spirit of truth will indwell us. The Spirit leads us into all truth. Okay? His Word that we are studying this morning Right? The Bible, this is the truth, right? This is the Word of God. And the people that walk in this truth are walking in the Spirit of God. Now, the psalmist David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what we have to, to 
build our lives upon that fact, the foundation of the Word of God. It lights our path. Otherwise, we're walking through this life in darkness, tripping up and stumbling and not really knowing why, losing our peace, maybe losing our faith, maybe getting off track. And, you know, I love this analogy. I'm not the one that came up with this, but I think about this analogy a lot, and I've mentioned it before to you guys. But, you know, you know, the plane taking off out of L.A., going to Hawaii, if they say if it just gets one degree off, it'll miss the Hawaiian Islands by 100 miles just because it got one degree off. And I really believe that if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll find ourselves 100 miles off one day saying, how did I get here? Where am I? But we lost touch with the Word of God the living word, right? Verse 20 continues here and said, Jesus, at, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So do you see what Jesus is saying here? The people that keep His Word will know Him. He said, my sheep know my voice, right? His Spirit, by His Spirit, He will manifest Himself to the people that keep His Word. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to Him, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep my word. Look what Jesus keeps bringing it back to. Keeping his word, right? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. Christ in us, the Bible says, is our hope of glory. Okay? You see, when you surrender your life to Christ by his spirit, Jesus and the father indwell you by the spirit of God, right? Now listen, surrendering, surrendering your life means submitting yourself to live your life in accordance with His written Word, just like Jesus keeps pointing out here. Right? Keep His Word. Keep His Word. Do His commands. That shows you love Him. The written Word found in our Bibles, according to Hebrews 4.12, it says it's a living Word. It dissects us, right? It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. The Word of God found in the Holy Bible reveals the truth of God and it changes us deep within. Again, but we have to be careful because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get sidetracked, sidetracked right? It's easy to, to get off the course you know, that Jesus wants us on. And sometimes we get cheated, like we read earlier, right? We get cheated through... The philosophies of man. You know, who's, who's all the rage now? Who's the great teacher? Who's the one that everybody's following? He's selling all the books and all of that kind of stuff. And we, we find ourselves going in the direction of man and we find ourselves off track from the Word of God. So Jesus, though, again, He came to usher in something new. Not to be a part of the old. He came to fulfill all the, requ the righteous requirements of the law and to bring something new. 
And that something new is a new life in Jesus Christ. Not a life of religiously punching the clock, but rather a life where we have been crucified with Christ. And we only have our being because Christ dwells in us. In Him we live and move and have our being. And we are to walk daily by faith in Him, desiring every day to know His presence in our lives. And I tell you what, just that one word, faith, right? It's easy for me just to say that and pass right by it, but you really need to take the time to study that, right? Because we need faith in this life. Read, read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, what they call the hall of faith, right? Look what people went through for the Word of God. Look, look, what they, look what they had to suffer, you know? And in this life today, Jesus said we still have tribulation. But our cheer, we can be of good cheer. Why? Because He has overcome. And we're in Christ. And we keep pressing on. We keep persevering through every trial. Right? But we need to have that presence with Him. Are you in that place this morning? Right? Seek Him. He desires to indwell you, but He also desires that you would be diligent in seeking Him. He gave His all for for you and me. Are we willing to give all of our lives for Him? Right? And I encourage you, spend some time seeking the Lord this week, fasting, praying, right? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Let's pray. We'll close here for the day. Heavenly Father, God, this is just a short time that we spend in Your Word. But again, You're with us always. You're with us by Your Spirit. If we've committed our lives into Your hand, and I pray for those that may be listening to the audio recording of this in the future or those that may be watching on YouTube live, whatever, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for all of us for that matter, God, that we would desire you above all else. God, that we would look within our own hearts that as your word encourages us to do, that we would examine ourselves to see whether we are truly in the faith or not. Test ourselves. How are we walking? You know, life throws a lot of things at us now. And sometimes we feel tired and sometimes we feel beat down in the flesh and in this body and and even our mind, Lord. We, We can get broken down and we can get sidetracked, Lord. But greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world, Lord. And I pray that You would increase our faith, every one of us, Lord. Again, that we would just grow in the knowledge of You, God. And for that person, Lord, that... Some of us here may know, Lord, or maybe listening someday here, that person that has not received you, that has not come to faith in you, Lord, they're listening for a reason right now, Lord. They're seeking. And I pray, Lord, that that they would just give their lives wholeheartedly to you, Lord. But also those of us, myself, Lord, who profess the faith in you, Lord, may we truly live it. Lord, may we just truly follow in your ways, Lord, and not be forgetful hearers of the Word of God, but to be doers of the work, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. 
Thank you for your peace that surpasses understanding, God. And thank you for this time together in your world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.